Candace, what is your experience if you try to get somebody on board with like composting or bringing a reusable water bottle to the office or like any kind of those mm-hmm. like climate friendly life changes? Oh, that, that's my life, right? As an environmental educator, I spend so much time going and just answering, mostly answering questions. I will say mm-hmm. that. It's not always me running up people going, stop yeah. in the name of the climate. <laughs> it's it's a lot of answering questions like, well, what's better, a, a, a fake Christmas tree or a real Christmas tree? I answer that question all the time. So these are the sorts of things that happen. So my experience is that I try to be a resource, not a regulator. Mm-hmm. That's, that's my perspective. That is a really hard line to tread. <laughs> um, I think it really depends on, you know, like if they ask me, right. like, oh, well, should this go in this bin or... Or if I'm showing up and being like, hey, did you know you put that in the wrong spot? Yes, yes. I don't mind being either one of them. Right, Um, right. And actually, this is sort of the topic that Karina wrote in about Mm. because she is trying to tread that really fine line, too. She she lives in North Hollywood. (laughs) She works in a at a dramatic arts college in Mm. Los Angeles. Okay. And so because she works in office space, she sees a lot of plastic and paper waste come through every day. I see. I was wondering if there were any like tips or tricks about how I can influence people in the faculty lounge to be more eco-conscious every day. So she really cares. She really wants to bring this up to her manager mm-hmm. and her coworkers, but I don't want to be like that person that's like policing the faculty lounge and being like, are you going to reuse that paper cup? <laughs> are you going to recycle that plastic bottle? Because we have recycling bins over here. You know, it doesn't have to go in the trash. It could go in the... I don't want to be that person. <laughs> it's hard. Being a climate cop is hard. It, well, I would much rather be a climate Charlie's angel than a climate <laughs> Charlie's cop. Charlie's angel? Just say that. Like, <laughs> sure. totally that. That's how I picture myself. Yeah. But no, that is so difficult. And you don't want to be that person. And eventually people stop listening to that person. So then right. you're not even effective as being that person. So I get it. I get what she's asking about. Yeah. So Karina, as you can tell, this really resonates with us. Mm-hmm. Um, I find myself in your shoes all the time. I have gently nudged and not so gently nudged mm-hmm. my mm-hmm. family and my coworkers yes. and my friends. And I get it. Like doing this without being annoying is really not easy. Absolutely. But let's give it a shot anyway. <laughs> From KCRW, this is the Anti-Dread Climate Podcast, your practical, personal guide to protecting the planet. I'm Kaylee Wells, KCRW's climate reporter. And I'm Candace Hickens-Russell, environmental educator and CEO at Friends of the LA River. So this is really a behavioral psychology question. You're trying to alter behavior in a way that doesn't make people resistant or mad or annoyed or just stop listening to you after a while. Exactly. And that's what makes this so tough, which is why I talked to this guy named Ken Donnelly. He is president of a group called Beyond Attitude Consulting, which is exactly the kind of business that you hire if, say, you're a company and you've decided you're going to be really climate friendly and you're trying to get all your employees on board with these climate friendly changes. We know from behavioral research that just because somebody thinks something is a good idea, and they know all the reasons it's it's a good idea, it doesn't mean they'll do it. And sort of the way he made that point to me is think about donating blood. We all agree that donating blood is probably a good thing to do. But then when you look around at all the people who have actually donated blood, it's something like less than 4% of people actually do it. Absolutely. So an easy place to start is to make this more eco-friendly thing the default. Yes, that that definitely is the answer. So putting the coffee mugs out on the table, but the paper cups like in a drawer that's kind of away. Make people work for the least desirable option a little more. Yeah, yeah. Have you, because I know you've worked in 
more offices than I have. <laughs> have you done anything like that? Does it work? Yeah, it, it does work. I remember when at my last office we had a Keurig and those are just, you know, everything that goes with being having a Keurig. Sure. And you have these little disposable K-cups that people were using and we were people were taking turns buying them, etc. Well, I bought this little green reusable K-cup that you could refill with mm, coffee. Mm-hmm. And I bought really nice coffee to go in there and just kind of put the K-cups off to the side. And eventually people stopped buying the K-cups and would just come in and fill up the little reusable K-cup and, and use it over and over again. So it was perfect. So it's this gradual phasing out through... It's like positive reinforcement. It's like it positive reinforcement. Yes. And the kind of making the negative harder to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. That that makes a lot of sense. I mean, the kind of things that Donnelly mentioned were make it so that lights turn off automatically in Mm -hmm, a room or mm -hmm. that the printer automatically prints double sided. So Mm, it doesn't take extra effort for somebody to do something more climate friendly. That's just sort of the default. And if you want to be worse to the planet, you have to try harder to be worse to the planet. Right. Right. So. It makes perfect sense to do things that are automatic and default, but not every climate-friendly thing is automatic or can be put on the default. That's true. I mean, a lot of helping the planet is going to require some effort. Mm -hmm. So he said, start with the small asks, Um, like, hey, do you mind turning off the lights in the room that does not turn off automatically before you leave? And when people start doing those smaller things, Mm -hmm. they look at themselves like, hey, I'm I'm a good steward of the earth. Okay. And so you just have to get them on board with the smaller things before they are more likely to get on board with these harder things because that aligns with this new identity that they have for themselves. Interesting. His other point is try to get people committed. So don't just say, hey, could you bring your own water bottle to work? Be like, hey, can I can I count on you to hmm. be one of these people who brings your own water bottle to work? One of these beacons that's doing the right thing. Exactly. That we can kind of share with everyone yeah, else. Be yeah, be like a role model. Right, and right. And if they say yes, they're more likely to do that because mm. in our society, your word means a lot. The important thing is that verbal commitments are strong, written commitments are stronger, and the public commitment is the strongest So if people think that their name might be used, they're much more likely to do it. Meaning like, okay, you could say, hey, do you mind putting your food waste in this organic bin? And they'll say, sure. But if you get them to sign a petition Mm. or if you get them to like be on a bulletin board with a list of names. Yeah. These are the people who are going to be helping lead us into this new future. It's better than a wall of shame. It's like a wall of Positive reinforcement. (laughs) Yes. The virtuous loop. I like it. There's also this aspect of peer pressure, and that can be really useful. So if everyone around you is using a mug and you're the one person still going into the cabinet and reaching the back of the door to get a paper cup, you start to feel awkward about Mm -hmm. it. So if you get a bunch of people on your side, then suddenly that process begins to happen a lot faster. Yeah. That little bit of a tipping point. Oh, yeah. I remember (laughs) what you're talking about with a tipping point. And this is sort of getting to one of his other main points that you can kickstart that tipping point process by creating like a sustainability committee. Right. Yes, that green team. Find some other people within your group that have similar concerns and want to see change and set up a little committee that meets every so often. Not a great big deal. But then you start introducing the low hanging fruit, the things that are really easy to do, but they make a difference. 
this is sort of that point you made about you not wanting to be the climate cop. Right. Here are your climate Charlie's angels. That's right. And they're all working together and they're examples for everyone else. So people see them doing it and they say, okay, that's not that hard. It's not that hard to bring your water bottle. It's not that hard to put waste in its place, right? And that becomes this this little bit of a spiral right. that can happen. And it's no longer Karina being the annoying person, mm. the annoying squeaky wheel. It's mm-hmm. like, well, Karina's part of this whole movement right. now. And we're all going in that direction mm-hmm. together. Time for takeaways. Okay, Karina, how do you make your office more eco-friendly without causing an uproar? Make a team of like-minded people so you're no longer a lone nagger. (laughs) Try to get people to commit. You could get them to sign something or at least say that they'll do something because that is way going to increase the chance that they'll actually follow through with that commitment. And make that climate-friendly behavior easier. If you take away one option, fill it with another option that's more convenient. Like your reusable K-cups. Yeah. That's way cool. Candace, tell me what the good news is this week. Oh, the good news. So California is suing big oil. Oh, yeah. I've heard about this. (laughs) On September 15th, the state claimed that the actions of the biggest oil companies have caused tens of billions of dollars in damage and that they downplayed and deceived the public about the risks of fossil fuels. Mm. So the five companies that have been targeted are ExxonMobil, Shell, BP, ConocoPhillips, and Chevron. And the American Petroleum Institute is also in there somewhere. They're an industry trade group. And they're listed as a defendant as well. So the lawsuit's trying to get the oil companies to set aside a fund so that when, not if, things go terribly wrong for California because of climate change, it's the oil companies that will have to pay for it, will have to contribute to cleaning up and mitigating that problem. Okay. And it makes sense that California joining this effort is a really big deal because, you know, there have been other states that have done lawsuits like this. Mm -hmm. but. We are the most populous state to file this suit. And California is this big producer of fossil fuels. So there are a lot of affected parties. Basically, the stakes are just a lot higher now, I guess. And we get the job done when California does something like this. It's meaningful. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Great. And that's it this week on the Anti-Dread Climate Podcast. If you haven't, please subscribe to this podcast and share it with a friend. We've got a newsletter that will have our advice every week. That's at kcrw.com slash climate. That's also where you can go if you want to ask us a question, kcrw.com slash climate. Next week, we're talking about one of my favorite projects. Every single week, I have to either drive over to the farmer's market to drop off the compost or sneak into my neighbor's bins because my apartment building doesn't have the green composting bins. I'm curious whether composting is actually worth it. And if so, is there a difference between the different composting programs, like the green bins that are provided by the city versus volunteer programs like LA Compost? I'm Candace Dickens-Russell, environmental educator and CEO of Friends of the LA River. I'm Kaylee Wells, climate reporter at KCRW. Our executive producer is Sonia Geis. Our production assistant is Celine Mendiola. Technical director is John Meek. And music by Carolyn Pennypacker-Riggs. The Anti-Dread Climate Podcast is a KCRW production. Thank you.